everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 140, Easter Eggs, recorded April 20th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. As always, I am Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and b- b- alongside me are my good friends and yours. Chris, the command line godfather, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, gentlemen. Aloha. <laughs> Aloha, huh? Hey, hey, how goes it today? Two days at the beach and you've gone island on us. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, well, a day at the beach. I have the sunburn to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your day at the beach. I, I think we mentioned it off air. I don't think you mentioned it on air last week. You, uh, Oh, you, you did, yeah. You went to California for a business thing and then you stayed there for a little while. Yes, um, you know, we did... Um, we're finishing up our Windows 7 upgrades in the company, and so we have an office out in California. And since I have no family or meaningful social life, I volunteer for those trips. And uh, I I did, like, basically three days of work, and then I gave me, like, a day and a half just to myself. And I kind of did some touristy things, and I drove up the Pacific Coast Highway and just kind of frolicked on the beach a little. I had a lot of – it was really nice. Did anybody try to push you in saying, get him back into the water, he's dying? Uh, no, okay. I, I was bigger than most of them that I saw out there. So, I uh, I had that uh, le- the last fall we took a family vacation, and I had never I had been to the beach a few times, but it was always a quick excursion. Uh, you know, we've got twenty minutes, let's go to the beach. We spent a whole afternoon, not not quite a full day, but like six hours at the beach, and and it's it's if you've never done it, it's an experience unlike anything else. Uh, it really is. Um, I understand why people get addicted to that. Uh, you get the wind that never stops, and the waves, and the sound, and and it's just uh, it's a it's it's a seductive and hypnotic experience. And and I'm looking forward to going back. Yeah, there's just it's really peaceful um, because, like you know, I mean, I went to the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, and there's beaches by there and there's like just tons of people everywhere but i drove up the pacific coast highway and i saw this one spot it was wide open there were a few cars there but the beach was kind of sparse so i whipped my car in and i just got out and when there's not a lot of people around it's really really awesome well i'm i'm glad you had a good time but we're even more glad that you're back and and you just wheeled right in here you haven't even been home you got off the plane you drove to the nearest broadband option and you plugged in and we appreciate it yeah this i'm actually coming at you from my actual office at work this week um it's only like about two or three minutes out of the way from the airport so i'm taking one for the team all of our faithful listeners i'm gonna be getting home like an hour and a half later than normal tonight and i uh I'm jealous that you have a an office and b your office has a door because I have a cube, um, and and anybody who's ever lived in a cube form knows that they set those things up so that your back is always to the opening, and there's no way mm-hmm. to not be with your back to the opening. So I got ah, so tired of people walking up behind me that I put a mirror up in front of me. So now <laughs> now when somebody comes up, there's this it's it's way too big. I told my wife just to get whatever mirror she saw when she was next to the store. And so this is this giant uh twelve and a half inch by ten inch mirror sitting up there. And um and I sit you know, I sit on my ball, so I'm sitting there bouncing around uh, on my ball and somebody walks up and I'm like, Uh yeah, that looks weird. Uh but 
uh, it you know at least at least I have some warning because you know I have my headphones in because in an office in a cube farm like that there's there's always a drone of noise so I've got my headphones in either listening to a podcast or listening to some music and I will be into something and before I had the mirror people would walk up and try to talk to me I wouldn't hear them because I had my headphones on they'd tap me on the shoulder and I would nearly punch them in the stomach so I had to do something to mitigate that right. Uh. Yeah, a shot to the stomach would probably be a quick way of getting a, a disciplinary notice in your file. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Written up for attacking the manager. Um, could you just imagine that? Ugh. I would. I, I couldn't do it either. I would freak out if somebody came up behind me. I usually do. I'm a personally. I'm a little paranoid. I don't sit in anything that face you know with my back facing a door. So, like right now, with you can see that in my office where I'm sitting right now, my back is to the door. Yeah. And it bugs the crap out of but me. But you got your camera, so you can keep an eye on That's it. That's right. That's yeah. there's reasons for the madness, and, yeah. and so it, it works. Yeah, but I'm rarely at my desk, especially with uh, the last few weeks. I I come in and clock in, and then I come back to clock out for lunch. Uh, is what it's been the last couple of weeks, yeah. and they you can tell they didn't think about it here because. I'm in, I'm part help desk. So my job is to go around all the other cubicles and you cannot get further from the <laughs> stairs or the elevator than my desk is. Cause I'm at the end of the hall, but it's not bad. There's like this little, they come together and then back in. So I've got to walk to get to the end of the hall that's furthest away from everything. So, you know, at least I'm getting some exercise in. It's one of those you can't get there from here things, huh? Right. <clears throat> Uh, all right enough about that uh happy easter everybody uh we are recording this on easter hence the topic of the show the easter egg show we thought we would go um and just do a quick tour a A, it's a holiday b seth uh is hasn't even been home yet and c we thought it would be funny um this is going to be a quick quick show you know only an hour and 75 minutes for us uh it'll be we're going to try to make it a quick show and we're just going to uh reminisce about some of the the best easter eggs uh in technology history and uh and hopefully come up with some new ones too but before we go on too far i wanted to have uh, just a few comments about heartbleed you know last week as i'd mentioned i had been uh in a work coma uh and and had only heard about it uh very briefly in an email i got from from LastPass, and i had chris fill me in and so I was listening back to I'm all caught up on Heartbleed now. I've listened to um, all the the podcasts, the Security Now podcast. They did uh, one and a half shows on it. I've listened to that. I've I've read research. I'm I'm, I'm up on it. So <clears throat> a couple of things I wanted to say. Number one, man, I'm good. Chris gave me a 30 second introduction, and I understood it immediately. And I, you know, I just got to pat myself on the back a little bit like that because I nailed it. I knew exactly what it was based on what he described, and uh, you know, that made me feel good. But also, I, I, I was watching um, something I had DVR'd with my wife. I don't even remember what it was. But the, you know, 11 Alive News here in Atlanta, um, it's, uh, the heart the heartbleed bug is causing, is the greatest whatever, and it just, you know, we'll tell you at 11. And I thought, newscasters should not even try to d- cover technology because they do it wrong every time yeah no um, kidding and and this this it was sensationalism about heartbleed and let's talk about uh, a little bit what it was i know we talked about it a little before but I, you know and i mentioned it on the show last week this takes dedication and persistence you get 64k of random memory every yep. time you uh inject 
uh, or you take advantage of this. So the only way to get anything usable out of it is just to be spewing uh, random internet noise and capturing it all and trying to piece it all together and so yes people have done things useful with it and you know it's it's been in the wild for a couple of years before it was made public so maybe people have done that but the 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 fact that joe blow needs to go and change all his passwords is just way overblown um you know yes it's possible that google or bank of america or anybody could have had their sso keys uh compromised that's that's all entirely possible but let's let's not forget that it 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 is a really super targeted spear phishing attack you got to go after a particular server and be looking for particular information um and know and know how to exfiltrate all of that information right to get what you need uh, on the other side though while yeah it was a good exercise in paranoia I think that it was a good time to force everyone to change passwords anyway. Yes. So it, yeah. it works both ways. I don't know. I, there's There are two two minds about that whole changing password thing. Um, some people say you should you know, you should change them regularly. Some people say it's it's security theory to change your password. I'm not entirely sure where I come down on that. I think if you've got a good, solid password, it's okay to hang on to it. Um, but, you know, in a case like this where, you know, a site has been vulnerable and, you know, or if a site contacts you and says, we know we've been breached, of course you got to change your password then. Um, but just making a random habit of changing passwords regularly, I'm I'm not into that. Well, as long as they're secure, I don't think there's a big issue. But, I mean, honestly, besides the tech guys out there, most of the passwords are, you know, f- the, the answers could be found on Facebook. So... Uh, you know, yeah. and then that's the other question. Does people, is it the passwords that get breached for people or is it their, uh, recover password questions that are the, the loopholes? Yeah. And, you know, most people change their password every time their dog dies anyway. So, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> when you're using your dog's name, your dog dies, you got it. So every few years, you're, you've got that built in. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> that, uh, little cold hearted. Skullduggery there. So Seth put an article uh, from Network World in it. And basically, it's going through um, the hype versus the reality. And the one that we're just on, the hype, you must change all your password. The reality, you should, but don't go crazy just yet. Um, it's it's a good idea to, yes, go ahead and, and change passwords. But if, if the Heartbleed thing hasn't been fixed and they still have access to the keys... Changing your password doesn't do any good just yet. Right. Well, the other thing, like I used it because uh, personally, I haven't been paying attention to how old some of my passwords are, and so I had a bunch of them that were you know over a year or two yeah. old, and so I was like, "Well, LastPass, just generate me a new one." Boop. Right. <laughs> uh, we yeah we we could be considered profits of LastPass because we I, I oh. love it and I tell I mean it's twelve bucks a year for the premium version which gives you uh, really the only thing you get premium that I can think of is mobile access but that's huge especially now they just updated updated the Android one so that it yep. stays resident. And you can, you know, when you go to a page, instead of having to go copy it, it just pops up and says, would you like to autofill that? Why, yes, I would. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Um, LastPass is awesome. I, I am a, a stalwart of it. I, 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 can't, I can't preach it enough. If you don't know what LastPass is, go look at it. 
you'll thank us. Yeah. We need to get them as a sponsor. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that they have money for sponsorship since they only well, charge twelve dollars a year. But you know what? They, they could, they could pinch our twelve dollars off and say, "Hey, yeah. since you're such good, since you advertise us so heavily, we, we'll, yeah. we'll pay your, you know, here's two years of LastPass for nothing." I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I'm, I might start using it then. <laughs> well, so, Seth, it's free. Seth, do you use a, a password manager at all? No, not really. Just what's built into your browser? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, some, I don't auto remember. You know, I have, um, I kind of took the haystop, the haystack philosophy and adopted it. So I'll have, oh. uh, I have a pretty good haystack and then the actual password that's a part of it. I changed that. So, you know, that way I don't have to remember yeah. too many complex passwords. Yeah. And I do that a that lot too, too for, for sites yeah. that, that I don't, I have a, a set pattern at the beginning, a set pattern at the end, and then I use some derivative of the website name. Um, so, that, that, so if somebody got enough of my passwords, they'd be able to figure that out. Um, but, you know, those are the only, th- I only do that on things where I don't have LastPass handy. Yeah, you know, Like right. at work, I, I do things like that because they won't let me install LastPass at work. Um, well, those bullies. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> IT Nazis. <laughs> Uh, so let's jump right into our listener feedback. And the first one uh, from a listener named Mark uh, writes uh, on Facebook. Did you know we have a Facebook page? We don't talk about it much. We don't use it much. Uh, but Mark found us on the uh, the uh, Element OP Facebook page and says, I'd heard, the after, I'd heard the letter that was read on the show from, quote, the only EDL Linux user running Arch. I listen to Everyday Linux and use Arch as my primary desktop. So there we go. We got two. Awesome. <laughs> The official distribution of everyday Linux. Yeah. Probably Um, not. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, moving on, Yui um, scoffs at U.S. broadband. And Yui, um, I'm going to have to clean up your language a little bit here. So uh, forgive the editing, but uh, I don't use that kind of language in general and certainly not on the show. Uh, he says, you mentioned the broadband becoming more prevalent and people starting to get five or six megabit com- connections. That is crazy. Public Wi-Fi that covers most of my town is faster than that. And I had five megabits like in 2004. Every time someone mentions these terrible speeds in the U.S. or in Australia, I feel bad or sorry for the people living there. Enjoying my hundred synchronous megabit connection here in Finland. Okay, so I first read that, and I was jealous. 100 megabits is freaking amazing. Then I read that, and I was mad. You just dissed my country. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to do a little experiment here. I, I don't often get territorial. I'm, I'm patriotic, right? But I don't often uh, uh, blaze my, my red, white, and blue. But I looked up the population of Finland. It's half of the population of Atlanta, Okay, so when your whole country is half the size of what's considered a fairly big town, a fairly big city, you can have stuff like that. You picked on particularly the USA and Australia. Those are the two largest land masses in the world. Well, South Africa might be bigger or Africa or China. Um, uh, But yeah, I think China and and Australia are probably pretty close. I don't really know yeah. in terms of, in terms of habitable landmass. Lots of China is mountains. Anyway, okay, that's neither here nor there. They're big freaking countries with lots and lots of people spread out over large areas. Um, so we're not we're not five million people. 
we're 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 there's nine million people where i live and it's not even on the top 20 largest cities in the country i don't think i'd have to i'd have to look at that um so anyway, I, I am jealous of your 100 megabit speeds, uh, but it's it's a little easier for you. Like South Korea is supposedly the the broadband leader. Like the average person there gets a gigabit, you know, um, something along those lines. Um, but, you know, South Korea is tiny. So yeah. they just they have one pipe running to the center of the country and a couple of fibers coming off of it, and that covers everybody. You know, uh, Australia is... You know, inconveniently large, and lots of it happens to be treeless desert and and mountains. So they you can't uh, you can't tie the lines to anything, and it's hard to bury them. So uh, we uh, you know we have we struggle with that. In other countries like uh, um, Asia, uh, China, and Japan, they they've invested heavily in wireless because their topography doesn't allow for uh, copper to be run very well, and so they have a ubiquitous connection. Uh, but it's at 4G speeds. It's at you know 20 and 30 megabits, which is great. Uh, but they're you know they can't compare with Finland. So <laughs> enjoy it. Um, I also looked up your tax rate. I'm going to stay right here in the good old U.S. of A. Thank you very much. Um, well, they got to pay for that hundred synchronous one way or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know what I would do. I mean, even in my corporate in environments, like, you know, where I worked, uh, we served a thousand devices on forty or fifty. I think it was fifty megabits. And and where I work now, it's it's in the in the range of a hundred megabits for the whole office building, sixteen floors um, that we occupy. I don't know what one person would do with a hundred megabits. I mean, I would just be, I don't know, just leave Netflix running on every screen in my house just because. <laughs> Dude, I mean, wow hundred, uh, yeah that's i don't i don't know what i would do i i don't personally i wouldn't know what to do because like I, i've been screaming and hollering at my school district to get us up off of uh what is it i have two 10 by one pipes that are load balanced for four schools um and we're we're just now gonna i think we end up going up to a, a 110 100 by 10 but that won't happen until July 1. And the only reason we got it is because of all the state and federal mandates for testing. So, man, I don't, I don't know. That's crazy. 100 by 100. Wow. <laughs> I can't comprehend that. Just... Yeah. You, you who are get super happy if you get a megabit. Yeah, I can't afford. I mean, one. I wouldn't know what to do with one meg, much less a hundred of them. I mean, I would, <laughs> where do you keep all those megs? Okay, and uh, moving right along, Joe, our, our prolific writer, he sent this one in quite a while back, but it's long, uh, so that's why I've held it for this one. Um, he did some uh, hardware performance testing on old boxes and Linux, and so he wrote back uh, to us, and so uh, sit back for the Joe show. It says, hello, EDL crew, hardware testing. I wanted to give you some feedback about my testing of suitable hardware for an Untangle Boris box. I recently wrote in telling you about my great Untangle experience on a Core 2 Duo, and I was recently given an old P4 and wanted to see if Untangle would work on it. I've heard many places that Untangle is heavier and requires beefier hardware. The Untangle wikis list minimum hardware requirements of a P4 Atom or equivalent with a gig of RAM and 80 gig hard drive uh, for 0 to 50 foot devices. But I don't know what that means. Does it mean just the firewall? Uh, 
What if I also wanted to use WebFilter, AdBlocker, AdVirus, or OpenVPN? And each of these services can either be CPU or man- memory or hard drive intensive. Is this an old? Uh, this is an old 2003 Dell with a sockets 487P4, um, four gig of RAM, and uh, and a, a PATA hard drive. The wiki mentions that the disk uh, speed and RAM speed are more important than CPU speed. So I was curious to know how the slower hard drive and RAM would work. To my surprise, for what I'm using it for, Untangle seems to work just as well on the old P4. The 32-bit version used even less RAM than the 64-bit version. Uh, I'm not that uh, I'm not taxing this machine with lots of services and only running uh, the free versions of web filter, antivirus, firewall, intrusion detection, and ad blocker. Uh, I tried to uh, humble the machine by streaming Netflix and YouTube in HD and opening lots and lots of tabs in Firefox and Chrome and going to several news sites and websites, both local and big newspapers with multiple ad servers each linked to each one. I could even see the Crunchbang ISO torrent, uh, and the Untangle web GUI displayed almost 600 TCP UDP connections. The CPU usage never got above low, and RAM usage never went over 800 megs. So, if other noobs out there are wondering about the minimum requirements for Untangle, or if anyone has a spare old ubiquitous Dell Dimension or any other P4 machine, I can confirm Untangle Wiki is correct for hardware requirements. The lowest listed hardware hardware requirements will run Untangle Firewall and many other services very well for a home network. Of course, this is accurate for how I'm using it. Perhaps adding several of the enterprise-oriented services would make this box fall down. But for a simple home network with a few connected devices... It works fine, and I'm sticking with it. For future hardware, excuse me, further hardware testing, a light distro on a P4. After good results with Untangle on old hard, hard, hardware, I installed Peppermint Linux and a, light, a lightweight distro based on Mint and Ubuntu with LXDE desktop on the same P4 box with 4 gigs of RAM. Surprisingly, the performance was not good. It would not correctly render icons in the file manager. The software manager would lock up when using search, and flash performance, really flash, okay, um, was only acceptable when the YouTube window was at the smallest setting. Switching to full screen balked it down to the point of being unwatchable. It's not a good showing for running a light distro. I swapped the hard, hard drive with the Peppermint installed to a Cord 2 Duo box with only a gig of RAM, and it made a world of difference. Everything worked great. I tested the software center, and Flash both worked well. This is an instance of more power and less RAM were noticeably better than the opposite. This just hardware testing, while I'm not at all comprehensive, leads me to put uh, pull, out, pull, pull out my jump to conclusions, Matt, and land on the following. My P4 machine makes a better Boris box than a Linux desktop. Desktop. More RAM does not guarantee improved performance. Lightweight Peppermint worked much better on a dual core with a quarter of the RAM. Even a light distro more powerful, um, even with a light distro, a more powerful uh, dual core CPU made a huge performance difference. Single core CPUs will not completely, while not completely obsolete, may best be used for firewalls, NAS devices, or simple light duty machines for email and web surfing as long as you can accept the poor flash performance. The best part about my results is that the Core 2 Duo box that was previously running Untangle can be repurposed. I have a follow-up email about power consumption, and we've already read that one. Uh, So let me jump into a couple of things there just about this last thing. I would bet that your results are less uh, CPU-specific and more GPU-specific. The that things that be. you talk about rendering there, flash and things like that. So if you have a new GPU, newer GPU that can handle flash encoding in the chip, 
then the processor becomes a non-issue. So if you if you're curious, and I am, if you if you'd like to do this, swap out video cards. Now they may be on the motherboard, so you can't can't do that. But I would bet that if you move the video card from the the P4 and put it into the Core 2 Duo and and vice versa, you would see the performance follow the video card. That's my thoughts. I would say for some of it, um, because I've seen even in like uh, uh, at the high or at the the school district, we have a couple of machines that are running single core PC or single core machines. And I've seen similar issues with rendering, even though, um, for example, like the, these machines were running XP and ran XP okay with a single core, but we tried moving them to Vista for because of the Windows Seven or Windows XP's you know death, and just moving to Vista made a big difference and made it so that the the single core machines wouldn't couldn't hold up. And that yeah, was but that's not a fair comparison, Chris, because Vista. But, was, I know. Uh, let me let me finish. We also added video cards to see if you know moving it to a an a standard you know these were thirty two meg or sixty four meg video cards, so they would be enough to handle the, the compositing. But the the performance is still so bad in Vista and in Seven that. We couldn't use those particular machines in our te- be, be, to move up to seven, so we're going to have to replace them. So, while some of that is true, Mark, but I think sometimes just having more horsepower under the hood can help ease off some of those issues, regardless if you have GPU accelerated acceleration on or not. Now, the other question would be: Is in his um, Peppermint install, did he turn off compositing? Because Cinnamon yeah. leaves the compositing on by default. Which, again, becomes a graphics processor thing. Because yep. if, if you don't have a hardware accelerated graphics, it's got to do all that in the processor. And you got one small processor doing that. And I know that's the problem with Flash. Because if you can't offload that to the processor, you've got to do all the transcoding and the rendering and the display and the downloading and the uploading and all of mm-hmm. that in one processor. And... Um, I know I've got the I've talked about it before in my media center PC is just a, an old Atom processor. Um and I can do HD uh MP4s without thinking about it. But when I go to flash, can't do it because it's not hardware accelerated um in the thing. And so I can't watch YouTube on this machine that I can can do a Blu-ray rip on. Uh, so it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy that the difference that having hardware acceleration makes. Well, it just goes to show how far we've come with when it comes to just simple desktop compositing. I mean, we're now demanding so much more visually on a base desktop than we were back when the single cores were pre- were the the workhorses. Yeah, I bet your puppy would still look good on a single core. <laughs> As good as puppy ever looks. I mean, that's a to say puppy looks good is a bit of a misnomer in general. But you know, but I mean, when you're talking a single core machine, you're talking you're talking puppy. That's puppy's yeah. playground. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and really, Vista or Seven or any OS after XP is not that Microsoft produces is not going to run on a single core just because that's the way Microsoft does it. They don't. Um, 
you know, they're not optimizing for those slower machines, uh, older machines with those new things. They're wanting you to go forward and, and give more RAM and more CPU. And they're less about the graphics and more about the CPU. So definitely would not work for a Windows machine. Anything past XP, you really need dual core. And, you know, now multi-core, you can get multi-core ARMs. Uh, you can get Pi, mm-hmm. uh, Raspberry Pis and multi-core uh, variations, I think. Maybe it was the Arduino. There's, there's their microprocessor machines that now can be multi-core. So um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a high bar to jump over. But, you know, we're talking about repurposing old things. Um, and in the case of a firewall, a Boris box, those uh, most of your um, machines that are you know embedded the the, the little blue boxes, uh, a lot of those are still running four eighty six chipsets, yep. um, and and they're fine for home use. So it's just it it it's very very vastly different tasks in what you're asking it to do. Um, uh, sniffing a packet here and there is nothing uh and and again that's remember these computers grew up doing those tasks the 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 personal computer and the internet grew up at the same time yeah so when intel was writing their um x86 chipset um engineers would say you know i need to i need to do this uh xor process fine we'll build that into the chip that's part of why the x86 legacy chipset is so convoluted and and why newer systems like the risk chipsets the arm uh chipsets are are taking over because they're much simpler uh instruction codes and they 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 do less at a time but they're able to do it more quickly yeah, so that there's so, smaller pipelines right it's so. one of the reasons that the we can't grow using x86 we're we're going to have to dump that uh, intel's solution so far has just been throw more cores at it uh, you know, we've got the i7 with four cores, and and they've got things in the pipeline. Uh, I read a this was several years ago, but I read a, a roadmap at Intel, and they're looking at uh, they've got 64 core machines in their long range plan. Oof! So that's the solution. Just throw more cores at it. Um, and but in the end, that's that's going to fall down. We're going to have to go with a reduced in uh, a risk chipset, reduced instruction uh, set code, um, to to get rid of that overhead but in the meantime we can really take advantage of that uh you know using a a small pentium or even a 486 chipset a chip to run in your your firewall it doesn't need a fan uh it doesn't it use much power uh you can you know power it off you know five volts or so so that that those that old technology still lives on you just you can't do desktop stuff with it anymore i would you you couldn't put any modern os Mac, Windows, Linux, Solaris, anything. You couldn't put any modern OS on um, a hundred or a seventy-five megahertz Pentium processor. It just, yeah. you, just, you couldn't do it. Uh, we're we're expecting more than than that machine was ever designed to do. Yeah, it was about a year ago. I pulled out a Pentium three, eight hundred megahertz mach- uh, little tiny laptop, and I stuck Puppy on it. Um, or wait, no, I put. I put Linux Mint on it and just to see, and it would do one thing. Like if all I did, if the only thing I did was like launch a video and go to YouTube and click play, it would play. But if I tried to do anything else, bring up clock, you know, or, or whatever, uh, whatever the, um, don't try to comment reader, on that video. Yeah. It, it, it couldn't do it, but it could do one thing at a time. So, you know, and, and that was a P3. So, you know, if you were just going to make a, 
you, the, there's still a place for the old technology. It's just, why would you want it whenever right. you can have something that can do hundreds of things? Now, if you've got it, you can still get by with it. Uh, remember the days of busting out MS config and, and cutting <laughs> back the number of things that load because your machine just couldn't handle it? Right. Now your task trays, you know, finally Microsoft and, and Linux too does it now. They've started collapsing the task tray because there was so much stuff in it. You know, a, a 1080p screen wasn't wide enough for your task tray because there's so many things running. Everything wanted to load a TSR. Uh, terminate and stay resident. Yeah, there you go. Busting out the old computer term. Um, wow. And so everything wanted to, to load a little thing there. Um, like open office it used to run it launched super fast like five seconds you'd click it and boom it's there but the reason is it never closed it launched on startup and just didn't have a window so when yep, you right. click the new button it would pop up a window yeah i'm ready to go well everything does that internet explorer does that firefox to a degree does that now they just they chrome hide the windows it. and keep the machines uh keep the code running yeah chrome does that notoriously yeah. Man, I remember I had this old Star Trek game. I don't remember which one it was, but to get everything I could out of my old Windows 95, I went in and I left like, there were like only two processes left running. <laughs> uh, so I could get every last computer cycle I could out of that. Yep. You know, I remember doing uh, that. Man, those I remember were the doing days. that too. And, and with, uh, Diablo way back yeah. when. So yeah, I remember doing that too in Diablo and in 90, 98, 90, and 95. So I mean, I, we, I could go back even farther than that. The first time I ever played Doom on my 386 SX yep. processor, I had to go in and, and manually in the auto, autoexec.bat file clear out, uh, certain lines of code just to have enough in the 64K, uh, 640 lower memory. You know, you remember that? The load oh, dot yeah. high, uh, load, load high. Yeah. And, and the UMB, I forget what that was. Uh, but yeah, I had the upper, upper memory bank something like that um all just to squeeze a little performance out so i could run doom on this machine and and i never had that jump scare moment of doom because when a when a monster was about to come out and jump around the corner my machine would go and grind down as we're trying to render it and then suddenly it would come around the corner so i never had that moment on doom oh man you robbed yourself of an experience there, Mark. Yes. Shame on you. <laughs> but uh, I had four megs of RAM. Uh, I had a screensaver with flying toasters on it. I was the Mac Daddy back in 1994, baby. <laughs> so that was, that was even before. That was like 92, 93. That was a long time ago. Oh, okay. Let's move on to something a little more modern. Sony is still ahead of uh, the well of everybody in the console market, even though Microsoft's much-touted Titanfall came out and was a huge success. Wasn't enough. Yes. Um, yeah. X Microsoft reported that Xbox One has shipped over five million units to retailers, um, but then later in the week, Sony came out and said. Um, We've actually sold 7 million units of the PlayStation 4. So Microsoft has shipped a lot of units that are sitting around in people's shelves, but yet nobody has a PlayStation 4 for sale. So, you know, it seems like Sony has done the PS4 right. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the death of consoles because you can do everything on your iPhone or iPad. But I think there's still a place for a good gaming console and Sony seems to be still the market leader and maybe is putting a little distance between themselves and Microsoft in the battle for the lead. 
Yeah, Microsoft says they sold 300,000 consoles last month at, at right around 500 bucks. They're not hurting for money. Yeah. Yeah, they're still doing well, but uh, Sony's doing better, apparently. And yeah. it's it's a neat to note that the Xbox One is selling uh, more than the 360 did at the same point in time. Yeah. So. Yep. But it took the 360 a long time to get off the ground. That's that's the way Microsoft does. They release crap and then they perfect it over time. Yep. They they're always in it for the long haul. And uh, you know who who didn't deal with the red ring of death? Um, I didn't buy my box until after they had mitigated that problem. I bought a refurbed uh, one, and so I never had the red ring of death uh, because I bought it so late in the game. Um, you know, I remember reading an article on how to get get by the red ring of death. You like. You wrapped it in a towel and covered yeah. the, and the thing is, somebody told me they had it. I said, Hey, try this. And I told, and they, they came back to me and said, Hey, that worked. So you know how that worked? It worked by getting the inside of the computer so hot that it remelted the solder and gravity pulled the, the socket back in, which is awesome. But it also burned up every chip in it and reduced the life of the thing <laughs> by months, maybe years for doing that. Yeah. Go figure. Um, but yeah, my buddy has a PlayStation 4, and that thing is, I, I, every time I sit in front of it and we, we dink around on playing a game, that thing is just soup to nuts, the, one of the best consoles I've ever played on. Um, and I also think a lot of gamers are getting to the point where they want to play, Titanfall's an awesome looking game. Um, I've played a demo of it. It, it's fun to play, but a lot of the, per, the big gamers that I, that I know and follow, um, they're all waiting for Destiny. And that's a PlayStation exclusive. So I think a lot of them are waiting, are pre-buying their PlayStation 4s for Destiny. Uh, it's supposed to be the, the, the game of the year beyond. And then it's the developers, Bungie, who did the Halo series. Yep. So. Oh, wow. I have a, I have a feeling Destiny is going to be one of the biggest games of the PlayStation 4's market for a good couple of years. I mean, I bought an Xbox 360 to play Halo. Um, yeah. that's how good that game was. Well, and oh, yeah. there, there was what, four renditions of it? Yeah. So, Bungie knows what, Bungie knows how to make a good game. So we'll see, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with, with, cause Destiny, they've been keeping a really tight lid on things too. You don't see much about Destiny. Um, there's a couple of screen trailers, but that's about it. So you want to know who's not doing so well? Our good friends over at AMD. They're just, they're not hanging with it. Well, no, Mark, they are doing phenomenal. You know, first quarter 2013, they lost um, a ridiculous amount of money. First quarter 2014, they only lost $20 million. Well, that's so, And they've yeah. got a lot more revenue coming in now. So they cut their losses from $145 million down to twenty. So you project that next quarter they're profitable. Yeah, I so. love that. It's an eighty-seven percent decrease in loss. <laughs> that is a hilarious way to put it. Eighty-seven yeah. percent. De- We're losing eighty-seven percent less than we lost last quarter. Wow. I mean, that gets them out of rim territory. <laughs> yeah. But and you know, AMD makes great chips. They're just they're not as good as Intel, and they don't have the the. I, mean, I I remember when I was in the store buying this laptop that I have now just a couple of weeks ago. Um, somebody asked, you know, what's the difference between this machine and that machine? I said it's the 
they're exactly the same machine. This one just has the AMD processor instead of the Intel. And the guy said, oh, well, I want Intel. Yeah. He didn't know why. It's just mind share. He just knows Intel is what I want. But the, the fact, in a lot of ways, AMDs are even better. For gamers, uh, some of their game response, time, response times are better. And for average, everyday web browsing, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Either one is more than you need. I right. mean, let's get real. <laughs> go back in time and buy a processor from five years ago, and that will do everything you need to do today. Fine. The sad thing is, is like the problem I always had, and it, it, it's not with AMD processors. I like their processors, but when they bought um, Radeon, ATI, the ATI chipsets are horrible. And so every time I see ATI, it's always bundled with AMD. And so I always say, no, thank you. I'll go back to my Intel and GeForce. Thank you. All right. And next story, um, Google hasn't won anything. But now they don't have to try their court, their uh, uh, patent troll case uh, in East Texas. They can get to the saner lands of California. (laughs) Yeah. um, This is, when it comes to patent law and patent litigation, it's the only time I can think of that I'm actually ashamed to say I'm from Texas because I don't know what idiot, uh, what idiots out in the Marshall area that decide these cases. I think, I think they have as much knowledge in technology as if I was trying a medical malpractice case. Um, you know, I just, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know that you're supposed to do the zigzag pattern and not the, not the loop de loops. <laughs> and so, you know, I would just be going by whatever the last person said. Um, but yeah, so Google has filed a motion because um, Rockstar, we've mentioned them before, they're one of the biggest, um, better known patent trolls around. They did this thing where they transferred all the patents that they were going to sue to a shell company based out of Delaware like a day before they filed suit. And then Google like... um and Hello? claimed and claimed that their principal place of business was in Texas. So the yes. suit would happen in East Texas with that loony judge. Yeah, yep. and the, uh, and Google said, uh, excuse me, all this stuff came from Apple and Apple's right here in California and we're right here in California. So let's hold the trial here in California. And I don't know what happened. I think the judge tripped and fell over some uncommon sense, but he went, you know, you're right. This should be in California and that's where the trial is going to be. So it, I think it's a good thing. Like I say, this is a rare case of uncommon sense spotted in, uh, patent troll litigation there you go so it's still a stupid case but now it's at least going to be held in the right place right Um, and in california um while they tend to be uh more liberal about um uh, social uh litigations they tend to be more conservative about technology litigation litigations and they are more knowledgeable just by the fact that they are in California. They're in the Silicon Valley area. Uh, they know this stuff a little better. It's not a bunch of farmers on a jury, um, you know, siding with the the little guy over the big guy every time. In Texas, if you can paint your case as a little guy being run over by a big guy, you will win it. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what happened. You know, it doesn't matter if you saw the big guy coming and waited till he was right in front of you and jumped out in front of him. You're the little guy, so you win. Yeah, I was um. I was at a restaurant listening to these people talk and they were talking about ASP, uh, dot net development. And I was like, 
why am I hearing that conversation? And I go, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm in, in California. California. And so I was like, I'm not going to get involved because I'm sure those guys are a lot smarter than I am in that. So, you know, I wouldn't expect out where I live, I, I wouldn't hear people, I wouldn't hear ASP, DOT, and NET in the same conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, out there, they were just talking. He was talking about developing and the programming languages he was running and this job and this. I was like, dude, that's it was just weird to hear a technology conversation where if I joined in, I would have been the noob. Uh, That doesn't happen much in the circles I run. I'm one of the uh, I'm the technology expert in most circles I hang out in. So, yeah, in East Texas, an asp is a is a snake. Yeah, that's what ASP is. Um, it's not, it's not technology, but speaking of technology, we love our good old friends at, uh, valve have green lighted a bunch more games for Linux. Yeah. Yeah. 34 more games, uh, Linux games this April. So they're, um, you know, they're making, they're doing all they can to make Linux the gaming platform, uh, especially with Steam. So way to go, Valve. Keep them coming. Uh, looks like they look like some pretty cool games and not just the same game 34 times. So yeah, the one that always, the one that looks really good out of that list for me is Get Even. Um, that one looks really entertaining. I don't know if you guys pulled up that link or not. Yeah, but that, I did. That, that Get Even teaser trailer. That looks fun. Yeah. I, I got, I got nothing. I'm just not into any of these things. I, sorry, it's not my thing. Well, now that you have that big old new laptop, maybe you should try it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And the last thing Network World says that uh, in spite of some black eyes that open source software has taken recently, open source software code is still better. Yes. um, They did this um, compare these different projects and not, you know, it's not like, this little tiny project against this humongous project. Um, but they were just looking at the lines of de- or the defect per 1000 lines of code, um, was point, uh, seven, four or sorry, point seven, two, but in open source, it is point five, nine. So, and you know, again, open source is kind of taking a black eye here with the, uh, heart bleed vulnerability getting widespread, um, in many cases, erroneous coverage, but it is still by and large less prone to errors than closed source proprietary models. Um, and again, it's not like that 0.72 per 1000 is bad. Um, like the standard you want to be at is less than one. So right. it, it's not like proprietary software is just this garbage and nobody should use it. It's pretty good, but the open source is a bit better. So. So uh, interesting that thousand lines of code back in the seventies uh, and eighties that was referred to commonly as a K lock, K for thousand lines of code L O C, and programmers like like writers get paid by the word. Programmers got paid by the K lock, wow. so you were paid by how much code you wrote. And IBM, uh, you know, IBM paid people based on. K-locks, and, and you would turn in your code, they would compile it, uh, or decompile it, I guess, and and look at how many lines of code it was, and that's how much money you made. So, when Microsoft started selling software to IBM, uh, they were paying them by the K-lock, and Microsoft was able to do things more efficient with, with fewer lines of code, and they were getting gypped out of their money, because they weren't writing bloated code. 
It's a it's an interesting little piece of 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 technological history there that when it came time to pay a writer, you know, newspaper writers uh, uh, and and reporters uh, all around for magazines or whatever, getting paid by the word is the standard. Well, you got a programmer here. How are we going to pay him? We'll use that same model. And so, right. and that held up for a while until somebody came along and said, "Well, I've optimized my code. It's smaller on purpose." And I could just see um, a guy, you know, writing code for IBM, writing uh, comments just all over his code, one word per line, just to get more KLOX, you know? Uh, it's the least efficient way to write code is to pay people by how big and, and grungy their code is. Um, so that just that, that line there, thousand lines of code made me think of that. So a little tangent there. Yeah, and, and well, you know, and that's that's what happens when you have accountants get involved in technology you know i mean you got to have some way to pay in some metric but the the metric should be devised by people in the field much like patents should be well anyway we we could turn that conversation and steer (laughs) it back in again but yeah interesting i did not know that thank you for enlightening me mark so anytime a new technology comes out it's 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 all about learning how to deal with it you know you've got uh you know old uh television shows were just radio shows where you could see the guy in behind the mic you know and and the the web when it first started out it was trying really hard to look like magazines and newspapers so there's it's always there's always a learning curve you got to figure out what what you've got and you know when you need to learn you got to go to some place to do that learning and how about the linuxacademy.com for learning how to do linux if that's your new thing and you need to get your learning curve started there's the place to go linuxacademy.com a linux professional institute and comptia authorized training partner uh where they have their all of their courses have been uh, uh certified uh by uh, as comptia quality content so it's not just me saying it now it's actual people who whose lives depend on certifying this content say well not lives livelihoods depend <laughs> on certifying this content have done it and they said it's good so what what is that content it's all about the videos. That's the way they're doing it. Uh, the every every lesson is a is a video, a step by step, a video course that's going to take you uh, from you know. Uh, there's going to they're going to name an objective objective, and they're going to get you to it. And the the uh, the objective there is to take you from being a novice to being a, an administrator. But not everybody is visual. Not everybody responds well to video. So they've got the written part covered, too. They've got study guides in, in a PDF format you can download or, or watch there on your screen. Um, they're time-coded so that as you know, as you're watching, you can read the notes and know what's, what section to go back to and rewind. When you're done with that, they've got quizzes and practice tests you can do, can, uh, do to make sure you've understood your learning. And it's all laid out in this lesson browser for, by these module things. And so you start a module, uh, and the module will say, this is what we're going to do. And for example, they've got a couple of new modules. One of them is called Learning, excuse me, Linux by Example for Novice to Pros. It's a course that incorporates their new Live Lab feature that I talked about before where you actually get uh, one-on-one time uh, with teachers in a in a, li- a lab environment, and you're interacting uh, with with things. Uh, and there's tutorials, and it combines those two things. And you can set up it teaches out of things like set up bind if you if you want to run a DNS server, set up a lamp stack, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. Um, that's the basic web server uh, stack. If you want to set up Samba, which is a, a, a software for interacting with Windows machines, this one course, Linux by example for novice to pros, covers all of that sort of stuff in a in a in interactive environment. 
They also, starting May 1st, are going to have an Amazon Web Services SysOps course. So they're really expanding beyond just Linux and moving into other stuff. They've got other content. Again, it's it's not stuff I can talk about yet because it's not ready yet, but they're growing their content. They expect to have it doubled within the next couple of weeks, and then they're just going to grow exponentially that, um, while they're at it. And they're not just cranking out crappy videos. These are good quality things. How do we know? Well, for one thing, everything that they do is certified. They have to do that to keep that certification from LPI and CompTIA. But not only that, the results stand for themselves. Every Right now, they have a 100% success rate. Everybody who's gone through a module, taken a practice test, passed the practice test, and gone for their certification has passed their certification exam. Every one of them. That's a number to stand by. How's 100% sound? I always say anything uh, um, uh, presented in percentage is BS, but when it's 100%, that's a little less BS. Um, everybody who's tried it has passed. What are you going to pay for this? It's ridiculous, right? Learning like this costs a fortune. Well, no, you can get started for as low as a dollar. You can get a 14-day trial for a dollar. Get in there. See if you like it. There's there's no commitment there. It's not going to auto-renew. It's not going to turn into something else. Um, if you don't cancel after 14 days, it becomes the, the $3,000. No, it's not none of that. It's just a buck. Gives you two weeks to try it out. See if you like it. And once you do, you can get started for as low as $19 a month if you want to buy uh, a year block at a time. If you're not sure you want to do that commitment, you just want to go month to month, how about 25 bucks a month? So you can get all this great learning for as low as $19 a month. There's no reason not to do it. And when you go, when you sign up, use the reference code EverydayLinux in the referral box to let them know that we sent you. Wow, that's great, Mark. You know, I waited until you started again, and I went and did some pricing, and I found 120 days, so four months of online access to a course. And again, I'm not going to name the name of the school, but they give you a hundred dollar discount, I guess, because to make you well, you know, just standard psychology. Uh, so your price is seven hundred and forty nine dollars for a hundred and twenty days. So that's uh, seven hundred and fifty dollars for four months. So that's uh, what three seventy five for two, just under a uh, hundred and ninety dollars a month, or th- six years of Linux Academy. Well, yeah, <laughs> not quite six years, but you know that's 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 almost three, or that's yeah. over three. So yeah. Uh, Spaceman Pete in the chat room says he's been using Linux Academy for months. He's shooting for his LPI later this summer. He said they've definitely made some big improvements since he signed up in the summer. And that's true. They're they're growing uh, their their content and their quality uh, at an exponential rate because that you know their their livelihoods depend on this. This is what they do. And so they intend to get better. So yep. yeah, eight hundred bucks for three months or twenty five dollars for a month. I know where my money is going to go. So th- it, let's do that. Okay, you said 750 for 3 months. This is months. 70 f- uh, for 4 months. Okay. So this would be 100 if you pay the highest rate possible. So it's like a 9 to 1 ratio there. Jeez. Um, e- even if it's one tenth as good, it's worth the money. But it's well, not one tenth as good. And you get more with the Linux Academy, you know, than you get um than you get with this other place. So you're not, if you want to get in the IT sector, you're not going to go wrong with the Linux Academy because most managers are looking for Linux. There's more, there's the, the interest out there in qualified Linux admins is, you know, it's everybody wants it. So 
if you want to get involved in IT, um, jump in the Linux Academy. And if you really, if you want to make it your job, you could be good enough in just a couple of months. You know, you could spend like three months, a couple hours a night. And at the end of three months, you would probably be qualified to get a, uh, to get a job in the IT field. There you go. And moving on from there to our discussion of the night, what is an Easter egg? We're going to talk about Easter eggs. Easter eggs are gifts, hidden things. You know, today <laughs> is Easter. My kids hunted Easter eggs several times. We rehid them and hunted them uh, several times, as we always do. And it's uh, an Easter egg is a thing that you find where you're not expecting it. It's yep. usually an inside joke or uh, a reference to something or just something funny um if if you go to youtube and search easter egg there's there are all all sorts of things inside uh video games that you'll see some of them are glitches uh some of them are intentional um and so we're just going to talk about uh some of the 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 famous ones and some of our favorite ones and we're going to start we're going to go all the way back to microsoft xl 95 Wow. We talked about Doom, right? I was running Doom and I said 92, 93. Well, that technology had come so far in just a couple of years that XL hid a Doom-like game running, uh, if, if not on the same engine, on one that looked a lot like it inside of XL. And I don't remember how to turn it on and I didn't bother to search, but it was called the Hall of Tortured Souls. And when you get to the end of the little game, the all the, the demon-type people the names were the developers of XL95. They were the tortured souls uh, that you had to go through the maze to fight. I wonder if that was a, a purposeful thing there. You know, the the names of the demons were the developers. Do you think they were tortured when they made the XL95? I think I think that's what it was. It was, you know, it's this doing this thing is torture, so we're going to have a little fun and put this Easter egg in there. And a couple of years later, you go back to um, XL97, they put another game in there. They put a flight simulator in it. And Seth, you told me you'd actually played that one, right? Um, No, I had okay. not. No, I was... Um, this was I didn't have a lot to see in office at this time. I was uh I was not in the technology field per se. Yeah. So I, I haven't done it, but I do remember seeing pictures. And again, you can find all of this stuff online. This is just fun stuff. And there was a pinball. It wasn't really a pinball game in Word ninety seven. It was just sort of a pinball that you could bounce around in your document. Um. And I, I again, I don't I didn't look up how to do it, but it was just. It was kind of weird that they uh, testing the OpenGL. That was a new thing, right, Dan? The, the yeah. OpenGL physics, um, and I guess it was just a, a test bed there. Uh, but you could bounce this thing it had realistic physics, and it would bounce around your document. That, that that's a good one. I remember I remember doing that a couple of times and, and watching the people around me go, "How the heck did you do that?" Yeah. So yeah, that was a good one. That was back when people when people found them, they were in magazines, and yet they had to be. Handed yeah. around with yeah. sneaker net instead of the internet. So I have broken these down into the 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 big the basic guys. I've got Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Linux, Firefox, uh, and then uh, uh, movies and video games. We've got a couple of those in there. So moving now to Google, the king of the Easter egg. Yep. Um, 
Jeff Jarvis on an episode of uh, This Week in Google referred to Android as UI by Easter egg. You, 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 <laughs> you never quite know what's going on in the Android ecosystem. You just have to stumble onto and go, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Uh, so there's, there's, there's intentional Easter eggs and unintentional ones. But one that's relatively new, maybe a couple of years now, um, is the snake game in YouTube, uh, sometimes called Snafu. And actually, I do this all the time. Because uh, AT and T buffers YouTube like crazy, uh, I don't know why. I have good bandwidth. It just it only buffers on YouTube. Netflix is instant yeah, anyway. Um, if you're watching that little circle go around, if you if you hit the left arrow and the up arrow at the same time, you get the little snake game, and you 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 know you go and you eat a dot, and you get one dot bigger, and then if you go around. And uh, you can you can entertain yourself, and even once the video starts, um, you can keep playing it while you're watching the video. And in fact, there are some people who've uploaded videos of just black screen to make the game a little easier to play. Yep, I did that one today. I was waiting for a video to download about um, what was it? It, it was a, the Easter egg that I talk about later. Um, I wanted to make sure that what they were actually saying was the correct terminal. And yes. so I, I pulled up the, the, the YouTube short of it, and while I was waiting for it to buffer, I was playing Snake because it was there. I had to. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. The next uh, Google one is uh, they, again, also had a flight simulator inside Google Earth, and this was cool because Google Earth is pretty cool anyway. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, if, I don't know if it's still active. I haven't tried it, but if you do Control-Alt-A anywhere in Google Earth, wherever you are on the map, you'll jump into a a, a plane and start flying around the map um and that's just cool and, and there's of course, also there's also a couple other ones in google earth like um they've found a quote unquote found um alanis there for a while they had that one um just yeah. recently on april fool's day they changed google earth to uh pokemon and then yeah, they did the yeah. 8-bit one a couple of years ago where it was all 8-bit driven so they do a lot of stuff in Google Earth just for, for um, April Fool's Day, and then a lot of times they leave them in because right. they're so fun. I don't know if it's still there anymore, but it used to, if you could, you'd scroll down to the 3D view of the Sydney Opera House in in Sydney, Australia, move around to the back of it, and Steve Irwin's there holding an alligator. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I guess it would be a crocodile. He was the crocodile hunter. Um and a couple of Google uh, of, of goofy intellectual ones. If you search recursion in Google, it'll say, "Did you mean recursion?" <laughs> That's funny. That one's uh, good. I like a skew. That's my favorite one. Yeah. If you search a skew, everything turns slightly sideways. And don't the letters fall off? Uh, no. I don't remember. They, they just are sideways. There is one, and I can't remember how to get the one where all the where all the letters fall off the page. That's another one. I think that's like. I can't remember who it is. Oh, I remember that one. I I don't remember. I I remember doing it. It was yeah. kind of cool to watch. I was like, "Whoa, what happened?" And of course, if you type "do a barrel roll," yep, you you do a barrel roll. Yep, that one's always fun to do too. It's uh, it's enough to make you nauseous. Uh, but you just do one one around, and then it comes back. Um, that's fun. Um. Google Now, the Konami code in Google Now, up, yep. if you say up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, um, I don't think you have to do BA select start. No. Nope. Um, it gives you, it unlocks free unlimited searches. 
Yay! Yeah, that one was funny. And it, it works every time. I just, it's one of those that you just have to do in front of somebody, especially a gamer who knows the Konami code. Um, and I had to laugh because I, I showed my wife. She didn't know what this, she knew what the Konami code is, but she didn't know it was in Google now. And so I, on her phone, when it was tied to the, the, um, Ford sync, I turned on Google now and I did the, the, uh, code. And over our car speakers, it said, congratulations, you've, you know, blah, 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 unlocked uh, free unlimited searches. And my wife went, what the heck did you just do to my phone? It was just hilarious. So yeah, if, if, if that, if you've never seen that one or you're in a group of people who are, who know what the Konami code is, pull that one out and see how many people actually know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, we have a couple of uh, listener con- contributions. That Doctor Who's TARDIS can be found in Google Earth in London. Rick Kraut says that, and uh, Thiago FX says if you search for answer to the life of the universe and anything in Google, you get something. In fact, that one uh, it, there's a that's in Siri. Uh, it's in uh, a couple of man pages in Linux. Yep. Uh, Douglas Adams uh, Life the Universe and everything forty two is all over the place. Well, yeah. the Konami code is all over the place, too. Yeah. You yeah. can do that in lots of different places. I, I remember my first experience with the Konami code was playing Contra. Remember that game? Oh, yeah. The two little guys that run around, and, and I forget what it got you. It was either Invincibility or 99 Lives. It got you 30 lives. lives. 30 Lives. There you go. Yep, yep 30 Lives. So, yeah, I, I remember that one. You earn any more. It just started right. out with 30, and that was it. Um, whereas if you played, you get it to 30, you lose when you get it back. So Yeah. Uh, and if uh, Doom, the cheat codes, not really Easter eggs, but the AFGQD, I think it was, the AFKEF, I don't remember what it was. A, A, Q, A, anyway, there was something you get uh, uh, full ammo, invincibility, but uh, the the guys that did software when they made a, a, a follow-up game, not really a follow-up, but the next game called Hexen using the same engine, if you typed in that code, it said you're a cheater and took away everything. Yeah. Took uh, took away all the power ups that you had. <laughs> I didn't know that one. The, yeah. the I didn't know that for Hexen. I've never tried it in there, but I I did like uh, I I did use that one for Doom quite often. It was fun. Yeah. That for me, that was the only fun way to play Doom was to turn on the invincibility and walk through walls. Because I've complained about it on the show before. All of those games eventually turn into we're running around a map looking for something, and that's yeah. where it stops being fun for me. So that's when I would turn on the walk through walls and just walk up and down until I found what I was looking for or or do the give me all the keys um, and then just go where I needed. Uh, cheat codes are important to me. Uh, <laughs> Facebook, uh, this one is funny to me. Uh, there, I'm sure there are others, but this is the one that I found. If you go to Facebook and go to the language options, you've got uh, English, you've got uh, four options. You've got uh, UK English, US English, Pirate English, and upside-down English. The upside-down one is just what it says. Everything turns upside-down, and it's kind of hard to read. But the pirate one is hilarious. Um, instead of uh, somebody commented on, on a post, it's, yar, somebody be flapping their gums about something you done said. Um, uh, and it's just really funny. I left it like that for a couple of days. I thought it was so good. Um, so you go to go to Facebook and uh, set it to pirate English, and that's fun. And, and it's really, I mean, somebody put a lot of time, time into that because there's different things that come up so like when somebody likes a post there's several different phrases that they put in there so somebody went through everything like uh the cancel button is a vast 
Avast, you know, get out. Um, and the, the, it's not your home page. It's not your, your um, what do they call that? The timeline. It's your, um, your port of call. Uh, and it's just, it's funny. So go check that one out. Um, there's a ton of them throughout Linux. Uh, yeah. But one of the ones that I liked was, it was in our old friend Emacs. I'm a Vi guy. I don't use Emacs, but Emacs has a list of classic games that you can play inside the editor. Pong, Snake, Tetris. Um, they're, yeah. they're all over the place, and, and it's a little complicated to get to them, but if you Google it, you'll find it. Yeah, the, the Emacs ones are always tough because yeah, you have to know Emacs to do it. But yeah, the, the that one's always fun. Um, I've always, my personal favorite though is the next, one of the next two that we, that we're going to talk about, the AppGet Moo and Aptitude Moo. <laughs> the um, Aptitude Moo is great, but you have to know about the AppGet Moo first. Yep. So AppGet Moo, uh, if you type that, you get a picture of a cow and it's, it's, it's funny. Yep. If you type Aptitude Moo, it says there are no Easter eggs in Aptitude. You type it again, it says, I told you there were no Easter eggs in, in, uh, aptitude. You type it again. No, really. There, you, you have to do it several times, and finally says fine, and gives you a picture of a cow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. The the what was it? Aptitude hyphen moo or vv moo says yeah. Uh, different verbosities. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it, the, yeah. There's a whole bunch of things listed in there. So yeah, go play with your your apt and aptitude, and see how many different different ones, different variations of apt moo uh, do you get. Oh, yeah, and so uh, I didn't notice that you put in the link there a list to all of them, how you do it. So uh, aptitude-v for verbose, right, gets you one thing, uh, and then another v is more, and then another v, and then finally it's like, all right, fine, here's an ad. here's a cow. Um, <laughs> uh, and this one's not really an Easter egg, but just a time waster. Grab any Telnet uh, client in any I've, – I've got it under the Linux thing because – that's generally where you use Telnet, but you can go anywhere. Go to towel.blinkinglights.nl and just watch. It's phenomenal. Somebody has done the entire Star Wars Episode Four in ASCII art over Telnet. And it looks good. I mean, you couldn't stand watching it for a long period of time unless you, you know, have a sixth sense of humor, but it's impressive to actually see how detailed they went into doing this yeah and it's in real time so it's if it's like a four minute scene in the movie it's a four minute ascii art scene complete with zoom ins and cuts and pans and it's it's bizarre and and it's it's kind of like a train wreck you can't not watch it um it's yeah it's it's i think it's just i think it's neat that's the word i use for it it's but yeah you can't watch it all but every time you stumble across it you end up watching it for a while you go oh i forgot about this oh my gosh i can't believe someone did this and uh pretty cool and of course the uh, towel is a reference again to douglas adams uh he's a he's a real fruity dude who knows where his towel is um firefox has had some funny stuff um for for years the the about uh, colon robots going into any fire uh firefox and it gives you some interesting facts about uh, firefox but the really fun one is about mozilla you get this the book of mozilla you'll get a a, a scripture type yep. thing from the book of mozilla um and it's it's been a different one with every iteration of firefox and now that they're coming out with a new version every six days 
um, you know, they're cranking them out all the time now. So you can actually search um, uh, the the intertubes and find all of them. But uh, it's this red page with like a weird, like bloody font. And it's talking about how uh, uh, the Mozilla code will, will rise up and, and smite Mammon, which is a reference to Internet Explorer. Yep. Um, it's, it's funny and weird and the guy who's cranking those out, I'm not sure I'd want to spend the night in a dark alley with him. <laughs> I want to know who, like, if you do it in the current version of Firefox, right? Now, I just pulled it up so we could, I could read it to you. It says the twins of Mamon. Who are the twins? You know, cause uh, I don't know. Mammon Windows is, an office, maybe? Maybe, but I was going to say Mamon is, cause it says the twins of Mamon quarreled. So it's like, wait a minute. What, what twins? Because I don't know of any extra Internet Explorer out there. Maybe. I don't know. But definitely wanted to go look at it and, and, and just to read all the different from the books of Mozilla scriptures because the, some of them are quite entertaining. Um, and then there, it's not really an Easter egg, but it's a funny warning. If you type it about con, colon config, the intro, the, the intro page says... Careful, this might void your warranty. <laughs> yeah, the, but you know, there's lots of good things in there too. But that that you could play with once you do void your warranty. But uh, I always like that one. <laughs> I was just reading the chat room. Uh, Thiago FX says on the Emacs package an arch. So another arch user. There's man pages for celibacy, condom, and sex. So man celibacy. And there's a man page for that. Uh, <laughs> I, it's something that coders know a lot about. Yeah. Um, they, anyway. Um, and then he posted a link. I may put it, uh, it's paste pin, so it'll be gone probably by the time we do it. But uh, go check it out. So, um, man, I'm reading the man page for Condom. Condom provides protection against system transmitted viruses. STVs uh, that may invade your system. Although the spread of such viruses across the network can only be abated uh, by aware and cautious users, condom is the only highly effective means of preventing virus from entering your system. See celibacy number one. Any data passed into condom by the protected process will be blocked as specified by the value S. See the options below. Condom is known to defend against the following viruses and other malicious infections. AIDS, herpes, <laughs> syphilis, crabs, genital warts, gonorrhea, chlamydia, Michelangelo, and Jerusalem. <laughs> That's Too good. Too much time on your hands. Or maybe that, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's because they had too much time on their hands that they turned to developing in the first place. That's right, yes. Uh, Okay, and then uh, here's some in the movies that uh, I'm guessing Chris put in there, I think. Um, Yeah, there's too many to just pick them all out, but I thought these are the ones that are are always funny. Um, The very first one I put up there was in the movie Tron, Kevin Flynn uses Vi. If, if and not go, Emacs, yay. Yeah, if you if you go over and look at what he's typing into the terminal, he's using Vi, which is kind of funny, um, especially considering in the next movie, Tron Legacy, they're using Emacs. So you know, fair, fair and balanced. So, <laughs> uh, Spaceman Pete in the chat room says the man page for women is undocumented. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, this is not real. Well, this is, it's not a single Easter egg, but, uh, Google Wilhelm scream. 
once you know what you're looking for, you will find it everywhere. It's an Easter egg that sound recorders, Foley artists put in things. Um, it goes all the way back to an old 1950s movie um, where a guy gets shot off a horse. And you, and I'm sure you heard it. You just don't know. And, and it's a very distinctive ah, kind of scream. Um, and it's become an Easter egg that people put in there. I, it's in Toy Story. It's in all six of the Star Wars movies. Um, I heard it in Frozen one of the 73 times my kids maybe watch it, um, uh, a guy fell off a cliff and there's the Wilhelm scream there. Once you hear it, go Google Wilhelm scream uh, and uh, probably Wilhelm, but uh, listen to it and, and your ears will be attuned to it and now you'll hear it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's another one. Uh, it's not really an Easter egg, but... If you watch The Simpsons, you've heard of the character McBain, um, who shows up like in the TV they're watching and somebody went through and took all those clips of the McBain, uh, and it actually makes a movie. So that's stretched out <laughs> over many seasons of Simpsons and in the middle of your an 20 act- years. That's awesome. And, uh, you can, you can like find it on YouTube, but you know, McBain is like the, uh, Uber Arnold Schwarzenegger macho guy. Um, and you know, and, and whenever the kids are watching TV, which is a very ubiquitous site at the Simpsons yes. household, you know, there'll always be some commercial or something of that. And it, it actually, it is actually a movie. It has plot. It has dialogue, um, and is actually pretty decent. I haven't watched it yet, but. People who watched it said say that. So <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. I love that. That it's a whole a whole movie. I don't know how long it is. I don't think it's like a, a ninety minute movie, but it's you know a little short anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so those are just some that we came up with. I'm sure there are much, much more. The chat room is is coming up with them as we speak. Uh, and so you can tell us. Uh, go over to uh, elementop.com, use the Contact Us button, and let us know some of your favorite Easter eggs in in wherever, in, in software, in, in pop culture, in movies. Uh, it's a fun little uh, thing. And, and often, once you, once you know what to look for, you'll see homages. Uh, like the flight simulator, you know, we've already seen it a couple of things and they start popping up other places. And sometimes an Easter egg will, will, you know, recurse back and reference another Easter egg, um, which is, is kind of funny. So that's it. That's our quick and lighthearted look at Easter eggs. Uh, and, and so we'll move on to our tips of the week. And Chris actually has one, um, uh, wave apps. That's the one I did last week. Oh, I just, did, I just did. didn't copy it, cut it out. Yep. So never mind. <laughs> he didn't have one. Oh yeah, that was the small business. Yeah, that was good stuff. So I just forgot to uh cut it out. So we'll go to Seth's time waster of the week or or what is it? See, I called it I changed it to Seth productivity killer and then you gave gave us something good. So uh, is this another productivity killer, Seth? Well, this is the 50 funniest Chuck Norris jokes of all time. Uh and it's just a list of some of the better Chuck Norris jokes um, that have been collected on the internet. I thought they were pretty funny. I, you know, I love, like I say that um, um, <laughs> The Princess Bride is the greatest non-Chuck Norris movie ever made. Uh, th- that's how I context that. But anyway, so, you know, number one is Death Once Had a Near Chuck Experience, uh, and it goes on from there. So. I like I like, I like this number two. Chuck Norris chose scissors, and there's a picture <laughs> yeah, of a, a rock of- split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
So they're, they're pretty funny. You can go through them. I'm sure you've heard a lot of them, but, um, they're all funny. And I don't know. I don't think many people find the Chuck Norris things as funny as I do because I absolutely love them still. Um, but anyway, so here you go. There is, um, 50 of them. You can click through and there you go. I can't view that one because my open DNS settings are blocking it as a lingerie slash bikini site. And, uh, because I have young kids in the house, I uh, I have that category blocked, so I can't see them. But we've all heard lots of good Chuck Norris things, and so there. I, I guess this is a compendium of them. Oh, that. yes. Chuck Norris can never fill out an online form because he will never submit. <laughs> I actually hadn't heard that one before. I like yeah. it. I haven't heard this one before either. Uh, ghosts sit around the campfire and tell Chuck Norris stories. That's a good one. Chuck's Gmail account, gmail at chucknorris.com. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. I think I told this one uh, before, but I'll do it again because it's one of my favorites. Superman and Chuck Norris had a bet, and the loser had to wear their underwear on the outside of their pants. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of those Hitler um, things, Have you? I'm sure you've seen them, you know, it's that thing of Hitler. Oh, yes. But, you know, one was talking about how we'll have super, you know, is like the generals are saying, Chuck Norris is coming. And then the general says like, oh, but we have Superman. And Hitler says, but that's just a guy who stole Chuck Norris's underwear. And, uh, <laughs> That scene, I, it's a real movie. I, I, I wonder now if I could watch the movie and get to that scene and would it have any emotional impact? Because I've seen it parodied so many times. I bet it would. Because yeah. it, it's it's really the dramatic scene. It's where Hitler, Hitler realizes he's he's defeated. Um, but yeah, it's been parodied so many times. I don't think I would ever be able to to get any emotional impact from it. Probably yeah, not. I, I probably wouldn't either. Yeah, because I would I would start to <laughs> remember all the other things that I've seen. Um. Chuck Norris doesn't mow his lawn. He just stares at it and dares it to grow. <laughs> Thank you, Spaceman Pete, for that one. Oh, my gosh. This uh, is a great one, but I can't say it on air. Okay. <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He lays down and pushes the earth under him. Chuck Norris doesn't flush the toilet. He scares the crap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cleaned up. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, we could do this literally all night long, so I won't. I will jump in. I already told you how to contact us, elementop.com. Uh, use the Contact Us button. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that. Use the the Leave Us a Voicemail widget or just call 559-IAMOPI anywhere in the U.S. or Canada or Mexico. Um, by the way, I think I mentioned it a while back, but uh, I am a big uh, proponent and happy user of the OBI device uh, that lets you, it's basically a really simple, cheap SIP device that lets you make free calls to and from your Google Voice account. Google Voice is disabling one of the features that require, that ma- makes that work. So if you are like me, you're an OBI user, um, you're going to have to find a different source because Google is turning that off and it made me sad. That is horrible. Um, I wish they wouldn't yeah. have done that. Because um, I, I love Google Voice and I love the OBI. I, it's a $40 device. You pay one time and then you get free service forever. Yeah. Well, until Google decides not to. So there's other things uh, I'm trying to decide because right now my daughter's the only one that ever uses it. I'm trying to decide whether that's worth 20 bucks a year because there's other services that will do the same thing for about that much. 
you get like 300 minutes a month and even she's a chatter, but I think we can keep her under 300 a month. Um, I did it because it's just, it's handy to have a home phone number sometimes. Yeah. You don't always want to give people your cell number. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a, a little aside there when I was talking about the Google voice account, but leave us a voicemail, 559-IMOP. Uh, you can do that. Also check out the forums where we've got all kinds of good there things there. We've got the bacon forum. We've got the bad movie forum. Um, somebody uh, tagged me on Google Plus the... Uh, um, it was a conversation between a couple of people and it was, they were watching the, uh, Mario, Super Mario Brothers movie. And one of them said, this one is so bad that I think even Mark Cockrell couldn't watch it. And <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you are absolutely right. That's so bad. It's not even fun. Bad. Definitely a bad movie. Yeah. I sat through it. Did you pay for it? No, it was like okay. on cable or tv or something or i I was tortured by al-qaeda i don't remember <laughs> see th- that made the uh um street fighter movie with raul julia look good and that was a bad movie <laughs> did you ever see the double dragon movie uh no. oh no, that was that was horrible it was very that was bad. bad you know what i i just noticed the other day i was looking through i think i think it's on amazon but Big Trouble Little Chinatown is oh, an Amazon that. Prime video, so Big now Trouble I can watch China? one of my yeah. Oh, uh, I can watch one of my favorite um bad movies anytime I want for nothing. Yeah, that's an awesome awesome movie. Okay, we're 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 going down a whole other tangent now, so I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna say thanks for listening, folks, guys who watched live uh, on our live Google Hangouts. Uh, you can, by the way, uh, we're we're streaming this every week. We've been doing it for a long time now. Uh, we stream it every week on. Uh, my youtube channel it's uh, uh just mark a cockrell uh and you can find me there or go to elementopi.com slash live where i i put it there and you also get the chat room embedded beside it there so thanks guys for hanging out with us and uh we look forward to seeing you ne- next week and for now i'm gonna say that ends this episode of everyday Linux. Mm-hmm.